0: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family.
1: VGW Group. No purchase necessary. where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Who was the man whom everyone believed loved and adored? His wife, his children, including his unborn child. Who was this man who sent his wife a photo of a doll wrapped up in a sheet and then shortly thereafter... Killed his wife and wrapped her up in a sheet. Little did his wife know when she posted what she thought was the funny picture that it was a predictor of what was to come. Hello, everyone. My name is Pamela Brewer. Welcome to this edition of mind talk today 's guest, Lena Derhaley, is a licensed psychotherapy psychotherapist certified in imago relationship therapy, and the author of my Daddy is a Hero. How Chris Watts went from family man to family killer. Lena, welcome to Mind Talk. Thank you, Pamela. I'm happy to be with you. Well, let's kind of start from the beginning. You are a trained imago therapist. For those who don't know, what does that mean?
0: So, it is a theory and a specific way of working with couples, although we work with single single people as well, and it's designed to help couples understand the power struggle that each couple faces and then how to break that power struggle using, you know, communication and conflict resolution techniques and understanding how our childhoods contribute to our adult relationships.
1: So given what you've described, that kind of gives us, us some insight into how you approached the writing of my daddy is a hero is that a fair statement
0: yeah that's a very fair statement i think um, my working with couples you know over around 10 years now i always look at the dynamics of a couple and in this particular case i was interested in how do these dynamics or these, you know, when we, we don't have a conscious awareness of what's playing out in our relationship, how may that contribute to violence? And so that was part of what interested me in writing this book.
1: The, the book you have written, My Daddy is a Hero, um, is is dealing with an issue that was in the news uh, a couple of years back that was all over the news for a while. For those who either don't recall the details or were unaware of it at the time, can you very briefly recap the Chris Watts story?
0: So Chris Watts and Shanann Watts were a couple in their early 30s, uh, married, they had two little girls, three and four years old at uh, the time of their death. And Shanann, the wife was pregnant with uh, 15 weeks with a boy. And Shanann was very public on social media. So she, she was in sales and she sold products. So her Facebook profile was public. And when she disappeared, you know, her husband, Chris, he went on camera on his porch and he seemed like this you know, handsome, perfect father in front of this perfect suburban home. And a few days later, it came out that he was sort of backed into a corner and forced into a confession. Uh, initially, he confessed that he killed his wife, but he blamed her for killing the children and said that he killed her in a fit of rage. But as it came out later, he killed all three of them. He put the daughter's bodies in separate oil tanks in the oil field he worked at, and he had strangled his wife, and he had buried her in a shallow grave nearby, and you as know, the details came out further, it became apparent that he had started an affair only about six weeks before he killed his family, and that the affair was sort of this catalyst for him murdering them, and the motive that the prosecution came up with, and that I believe to be true, and that at this point... Chris has you know, pretty much confessed that the motive to kill his family was to be with the woman he was having an affair with. So that's a basic, very short summary of the story.
1: You know, I, I remember the that, that very uh, scene that you described and this man on the porch surrounded by cameras. And it was a horrifying story. His wife was pregnant. He had two gorgeous little girls and all of a sudden they were gone. I mean, it really tugged at the heartstrings, heartstrings of the nation, I would say.
0: It really did. It really, I mean, it even has an international cult following. You know, in my book, people in Australia read it, and the U.K. has a big following in both of those places. And so it really sort of touched worldwide, this story. And, again, I think – because the social media was so public people watched all the videos and felt very intimately connected to this family and again it seemed like how could something so seemingly perfect go so wrong and another interesting part of this story was as you know you look deeper into the past of Chris Watts he had no warning signs of violence he had no signs of controlling behavior he was everybody thought that he was you know, deferential and submissive to his wife and not the other way around. And so a lot of the times when you hear stories about intimate partner violence and men who kill their wives, especially, there's this history of them sort of being controlling and dominant and angry. And Chris Watts was the opposite of all of those things, which I think was another reason that made me so compelled to write this book and try to figure out how does someone with no signs of violence become so violent and so awful
1: and you know one of the things that you comment on is that Chris at least initially or during the the length of their marriage for the most part seemed to fit the fairy tale view of of a partner. So when you say there were no particular signs, because you know, we're always looking for signs and patterns, certainly as therapists. But when you say that there were no particular signs of even the potential for this kind of behavior, that makes it that much more disturbing.
0: Yes, I think that's the most disturbing part of the story. And I think as human beings, we all want to believe that we could spot danger and avoid it. And the thing about this case was that Shanann trusted her husband implicitly in the sense that even though he was having an affair at the time, he had become distant with her in the past six weeks and very cold. And towards the last few weeks of her life, he was telling her he wanted a separation and didn't want the baby anymore. And so that was very, very confusing. But, you know, up until I don't she contemplated with her friends, you know, maybe he's having an affair, but she didn't even think that was possible because. She didn't think her husband was even capable of having an affair. So I, there was no possible way she could have thought he was capable of murdering her, let alone her children. And that's so terrifying. She really had no idea what he was capable of. And I don't believe anybody close to them did. And it really is the most disturbing part of the story, because if we can't spot danger, then how do we protect ourselves? And that was another question
1: I sought to answer in the book. Exactly. And, you know, as folks can certainly read more of the actual details of the the event and of the murders and of the discovery um, when they take a look at My Daddy is a Hero, what I'd like for us to really focus on is the various diagnoses that certainly people heard in the media and what your sense is of the accuracy or not of some of those diagnoses. We're not going to be able to go through all of the things that people thought might be going on with Chris, but hopefully we can go through it at least a couple. I, I'm I'm gonna want to start out with the word narcissism, because you know nowadays every other word every other person swears that they or their partner is a narcissist. Can you give us not a fair question, but I'm okay with asking <laughs> a fair questions. Can you give us a a tiny overview of what the concept is when when someone is considered to be a narcissist
0: yes and it's a it's a loaded question because we have narcissistic personality disorder which is thought to be only one percent of the population and how it's defined in the dsm which is the you know our i call it the psychology bible it lists all the diagnoses for people who aren't aware of it um it's so it's Talks about a person who's grandiose and has just delusions of grandeur and very pompous and you know very overly arrogant and so I think that's the uh, the definition that people often think that a narcissist has to be this very arrogant grandiose type person and of course that presentation as narcissistic personality disorder also is defined by a lack of empathy so somebody who doesn't feel for other people or doesn't feel bad for other people and only cares about themselves. So that's true. As we explore narcissism deeper and we look at sort of the research behind it, uh, there's a researcher named Dr. Craig Malkin and he's a leading researcher in the field. He's at Harvard Medical School. And I like to define narcissism in the way that he does. So he coins it by what he calls the triple E and the triple E stands for entitlement, exploitation, and empathy impairments. So he would say that narcissism is de- de- defined by all three of those things, and that narcissism doesn't have to be grandiose. And that's what I really wanted to convey in the book that we have these sort of umbrella terms that there's a communal narcissist, there's a covert narcissist, that narcissism can present in many different ways. You know, narcissists can be shy and introverted but if they have these three things under the surface they may secretly want to feel special as well but if they have this exploitation empathy impairments and entitlement even if it's really really hidden that's more of a definition and then also i would like to add that narcissism sort of exists on a spectrum okay. and that it's normal to have healthy amounts of narcissism but it's when it becomes extreme and you know really extreme when it disregards the value of another person and, you know, you do awful things to get what you want and disregard other people's feelings and needs and safety, then that becomes, you know, very destructive pathological narcissism.
1: Lena, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'd like to delve into this a lot further, because as you very well know and comment in the book, on some levels, the, the overt presentation of Chris was anything but a narcissist, as people commonly think about narcissism. So that's where we'll pick up when we come back. Folks, my name is Pamela Brewer. I'm having a conversation with Lena Durhalle, who was a psychotherapist and the author of My Daddy is a Hero, How Chris Watts Went from Family Man to Family Killer. We'll be right back. <laughs> The Chris, who again people saw for years and years, on the outside, calm, nice guy, really cared about his children, really cared about his wife, really cared about people. But on the other hand, there are instances where you describe some folks in his life who kind of had a hard time connecting with him. So that's an interesting twist to the Chris many people saw and believe. What's your sense of what that was about?
0: Yeah, I think that was uh, one of the biggest clues into who he really was and who he hid, you know, for so long, is that actually every person that was interviewed, and I had access to lots and lots of interviews, and his coworkers, his childhood best friends, family members, uh, friends of Shanann and Chris, and while everybody really liked him and thought he was this easygoing guy, the one constant thread that everybody said about him was that he was really hard to get to know and that he showed no emotion and that it was really hard to get any kind of feeling out of him. So it was hard to connect. There was no real depth to him, it seemed. So although people liked him, there was no real intimacy with him. They didn't really know who he was. And so I thought that was a very interesting point that that was something that was said by everybody who knew him and even his own mother, said as she looked back at his childhood she said you know the only thing i can think of is that he was really really quiet you know his mother and sister tried to get him to open up as a child and he was always very quiet and and sort of withdrawn about his feelings so i sort of had this theme that nobody ever really knew who he was
1: exactly they they like the him he presented but not the him he was right
0: that's what i believe yeah
1: i i want to go back to again the the different kinds of narcissists that you address again just a couple because we don't have the space to do all the in-depth work that you present in my daddy is a hero but let's talk about a malignant narcissist you know that's something that you hear about on the television you hear about that in the um you know in the crime shows. so what's a malignant narcissist
0: so that's been defined, again, that's not in the DSM necessarily, but people have defined it as a cross between a psychopath and a narcissist. So this is really a very extreme form of narcissism. This is, you know, really, you know, lying, manipulative, uh, pr- capable of committing crimes and violence, a mix between what they would call antisocial personality disorder and a narcissist. So it's sort of the most dangerous narcissist that you can think of. Uh, One of the most cruel, most lacking in empathy and capable of really hurting other people, whether emotionally or physically.
1: And a communal narcissist, somebody who's friendlier?
0: Well, the communal narcissist is something that's been brought to light in almost the past 10 years. It's a relatively new term. And the communal narcissist is the do-gooder. And I like to use the, word, the phrase wolf in sheep's clothing. I actually think that's a phrase that really described Chris pretty well. Yeah. And the communal narcissist, how they get what's called narcissistic supply. So, again, a common thread with narcissists is that they all want to feel special. Either if, even if they don't express that, that's a deep need that they have, and they're addicted to it, and they do what they can. To get that, and so the communal narcissist use communal means to get that feeling of being special. And so, whereas before they would say an agentic nar- narcissist, someone who has they they do things to feel special by self-serving techniques, the communal narcissist is part of the community and is helpful and trustworthy, and that's how they would define themselves and how other people might see them. And so the grandiose version of a communal narcissist may be a pastor of a church and they may be giving to charity. They're boasting about all the good things they do, but you can also, again, on the other end of the spectrum have this covert communal narcissist. So, you know, their strategy is to just do nice things for other people and then the other people will reward them with affirmation or, you know, you're so great and that will, that need of feeling
1: special there are again other kinds of narcissists that you talk about but let's talk about asperger's you make the point that there were some people who suggested that perhaps uh chris watts uh was dealing with asperger's what's your thought
0: yeah they uh people have thought that and i wanted to talk about that as well and i did a lot of research on that and I found a bunch of research that compares you know, Asperger's and psychopathy, and what I found was that a lot of people with Asperger's actually have empathy, and that psychopaths are are actually quite different, and so in the book, I I really, I don't think Chris had Asperger's. I see people, why they thought so, because people equate um, Asperger's with social awkwardness, and Chris was also described as very socially awkward, Um, but in this, In this book, I definitely think he's more, um, again, just my opinion. I can't say 100% for sure because I've never met him, and even if I had, I still couldn't be 100% unless I had something like an MRI of his brain. But um, it seems to me from all the research I've done and everything that he's said that he he fits more with a psychopath um, than somebody with Asperger's. Asperger's, they rarely ever commit crimes unless they have a comorbid, diagnosis like an antisocial personality
1: disorder. I see. One of the things that you said very early in our conversation today, acknowledging the sort of fear that, that comes up for folks who think about him as, he's a really nice guy, showed no signs, how on earth can I ever protect myself? How do you, when you address this in My Daddy's a Hero, how do you spot some of what could be red flags with respect to this yeah. kind of Chris in your life.
0: Yes. And, you know, I think, I do think that there's, we're unfortunately not going to be able to spot all these things because people like Chris, as I describe in the book, become very good at mimicking yeah. and become very good at portraying, you know, people who are psychopathic or narcissistic are very charming people. They really wear a mask that they've crafted for a long time. And so, you know, one of the research studies I saw said that psychopaths can be more convincing with empathy than regular people because they have to practice it so much that they get really good at it. So, you know, that's, that's another scary thing. But, you know, when I look back in hindsight, and I think, you know, maybe they're the the one thing that I could really point to. And again, I do not fault his wife at all for staying in this marriage. I think she did the right thing because again, there were no signs and she wanted to fight for her marriage. But I always tell people, you know, it was very bizarre that he turned on her so quickly. Like, she she took her daughters to North Carolina for the summer for six weeks, and he stayed in Colorado for five of the weeks and joined them for the six weeks. And within that short time frame, he completely turned on her. He wanted to separate from her. He didn't want the baby that he had actually pushed for. He was the one who was more on board with the third child than her. And while she was begging him to go to couples counseling or read self-help books or work on the marriage, he was acting like, for the most part, he had pretty much made up his mind. There was no salvaging the marriage. He um, had complete lack of empathy for her, completely cold, uh, willing to leave his pregnant wife and two daughters without even trying or anything, and with absolutely no empathy for her, which she expresses to him and her texts with her friends that, she it says at one point, you know, it's like, you only care about yourself and your feelings. And that's really how he was acting. So I say at any point, if someone is that quick to turn on you, it's a it's a very huge red flag. Not that they're going to kill you necessarily, but that something is going on and that that's a huge character flaw. You know, it's, I think a person with empathy would say, well, you know. I'm going to at least try to work on this with my wife, you know, she's pregnant, we have two little girls. So I think that was one sign is that if somebody turns on you really quickly, and um, it's, it's not a good sign and to be to be very aware of that.
1: She had lupus, and she was pregnant and had two little girls. And you're right. When I first, as, as I was reading um, My Daddy is a Hero, and I saw the, the point that you made that in five weeks he went from, you know, I love you to I'm done with you, I I, I had to go back and reread it because the first thing that popped out to me was five weeks? Seriously? So, again, yeah. you know, when you have those kinds of sudden changes – rather than ignore them and assume that it's not that big a deal, maybe you need to pay attention to them. You don't want to make a decision as to what it means without exploration, but you really need to pay attention to sudden huge changes in a person's behavior.
0: Yes, and in this case, I mean, her, I think Shanann's gut feeling was something's going on. She didn't know what, but she knew something was wrong and he wouldn't tell her, and it was driving her crazy, you know, but in this case, you know, something really was going on. A lot of things were going on and her gut was right. And so, you know, uh, but again, it was so shocking for her. It happened so quickly. It was such a drastic change that, you know, I think any woman in her position would have believed he's just going through a phase and we can work this out. And I really believe that that's what she believed and I would have believed it as well. And it's just, um, but in hindsight, again, it's it's a good lesson for a lot of us that You know, again, if somebody turns on you that quickly and is not willing to work anything out or see your point of view, that's a big red flag of an empathy impairment.
1: We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'd like for you to uh, describe what it means when you are the victim of gaslighting. Folks, you're listening to the voice of Lena Durhally, who is the author of My Daddy is a Hero, How Chris Watts Went from Family Man to Family Killer. It really is an amazing and insightful read. Stay where you are. We'll be right back. Mm Alina, I, I want to make it clear to the listeners that there's so much more uh, in your writing than we are able to deal with today because you, among many things, address the issue of his childhood experiences, making it clear that, yes, they have an impact on all of us, uh, but this is not your way to say, essentially, it's, it's his family's fault. What you're saying is these are the pieces that happened in his life that contributed to who he became and that he alone is responsible for his behavior. Because I I say that in part, well, because it's true, uh, but also there were times you described where other people were kind of blaming her for the fact that she got killed.
0: Yes. You know, there's a lot of blame going on for a lot of different people outside of Chris, which kind of shocks me sometimes at sort of how— People want to take the blame off of him when he did something really awful and he premeditated these crimes too. He killed his own children in a cruel way. And, you know, especially his, his four year old daughter watched her sister uh, smothered in front of her and dropped into an oil tank. I mean, this is, uh, you know, so it was pretty shocking for me to see how people wanted to take the blame off of him, although Think again, it's so evil what he did that people want to rationalize it and think, okay, there's got to be some reason that someone's this evil. People don't want to think that somebody could just be that evil. So I I think that's part of the psychology of why, you know, people um, either victim blame or blame other people, you know. Some people may have blamed Chris's mother, which is not very fair either. We don't have enough information. And even so, these were his actions, you know. Right. So I, I definitely, I hope, I, you know, some people have said some things in my book were repetitive. And I think that reason is because I really wanted to reiterate certain points over and over again and make it clear that, you know, Chris Watts is responsible for these crimes. Mm-hmm. Nobody else is. And, you know, that's that's the end of the story there. Did other factors contribute in a perfect storm? Yes. But ultimately, he took those, you know, made those decisions and he's accountable for those decisions.
1: Which, again, I think is a really important point. Let's go back to the concept of gaslighting. Uh, Again, it's something that we hear about more often nowadays, but a lot of people aren't really clear about what that means. So in 30 seconds or less. I told you I like to ask hard questions. What is gaslighting?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, 30 seconds or less. Gaslighting is a tactic or manipulation tactic that somebody uses to make you feel like you're crazy or make you second guess your sanity. So if somebody says something really insulting to you and you're like, hey, that really hurt my feelings, they would come back and say, oh, you're so sensitive. That wasn't an insult, you know. So then you're left saying, wait, was that an insult or not?
1: So that was very good. That's 30 seconds. <laughs> that, I'm actually <laughs> impressed. <laughs> the, at the end of the day, at the end of this book, I mean, you talk about the impact not only on Chris's family and his immediate family, but people who worked on the case, the detectives who were traumatized. I'm wondering what the impact was on you as you concluded your research and began to put this all on paper.
0: Yeah, I mean, I tell people all the time that I can't read my own book, Uh, the chapter that I wrote where I give a warning about when he kills his family. That was a very hard chapter for me to go back and edit. I hated every minute of that. Um, And, you know, I still get choked up even as I talk about it. It's funny. It all hit me after I wrote it. And I think after it published, you know, and there was a really positive response. It it was also a huge relief um, because it's scary to write about something. These are real people. And it really happened. And, you know, I was writing about psychology, and I wanted to be sensitive to everybody. And so I was um, relieved, but also, you know, I compartmentalized. And sure. so I think I cried for like three days straight a week after I published it. And, you know, really mourned Shanann and the girls. And as I say, even as I talk about it now, I'm tearing up. So yeah. you can tell the effect that it had on me, even when I start talking about it again. Absolutely. So,
1: Lena, how can people get more information about My Daddy is a Hero?
0: Uh, They can go to my website, which is lenaderholly.com, L-E-N-A-D-E-R-H-A-L-L-Y, or just search on Amazon, and there's multiple versions of the book available. Um, Kindle, Kindle Unlimited, paperback, hardback, and... um, That's probably the best place to get information on the book.
1: Sounds like you name it, it's there. Lena Derhalle, author of My Daddy is a Hero, thank you so much for spending time and sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you. It was really nice to be with you. And, folks, thank you for joining me on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you regularly and can be heard on several platforms, including iTunes, SoundCloud, Alexa, the MindTalk app, and, of course, MindTalk.org. That's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. MindTalk is brought to you as an informational offering. It is not intended to replace any work you may be doing with or intend to do with a clinical professional. If you would like to email me, I'd love to hear from you. That's Pamela, P-A-M. ELA at mindtalk.org. Again, that's M Y N D T A L K.org. I really look forward to you joining me the next time on Mind Talk. And remember always, if it's unacceptable, it is unacceptable. You take care.